You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. Cavaliers coming into tonight's game against the Sacramento Kings at a record of 16-9. and And the Kings, surprisingly, 13-10. to Mike Brown has that squad uh, playing well. So good for the Kings. They haven't been good for a very long time. But the Kings <laughs> are in town tonight. They are taking on the Cavs, as we said. Uh, last game Cleveland played was a big one. Cavaliers took on the Los Angeles Lakers and Chris. I mean, it's a it's an important game for a lot of reasons. You know, um, anytime you play a, a West Coast team, you want to win. Anytime you play any team, you want to win. But obviously, you have ties to LeBron and and yeah. that building. And you know, you just can't you can't just sit there and say, oh, it doesn't matter because it does. I mean, it's the it's the reality of the situation. You have to recognize it. But Cavaliers end up with the win, 116-102. First time ever the Cavaliers have beaten LeBron in the same season twice. So. A remarkable feat there, and it, I think it just goes to show that maybe the um, the torch has kind of been passed. That's kind of what it felt like, you know. Donovan Mitchell, forty-three points on seventeen of twenty-seven from the field, um, MVP chance, you know, mm. raining down upon him, and LeBron in the building. You know, it just it, it was a really unique and fun atmosphere, and um, and it just it, it goes to show that things have changed in Cleveland for sure. Yeah, it did. It felt like. Um... Not that that was the beginning of a new era, because I think um, obviously last year was their big turnaround. They won 44 games. They got to the play-in tournament. But, like, that helps solidify the fact that they don't need LeBron anymore. You know, any kind of conversation about LeBron coming back to save the organization again, um, the Cavs trading for LeBron, needing LeBron in free agency, however you want to phrase it, um, it wasn't a fluke win, you know what I mean? Like, it was a dominant performance by the most important players of this organization moving forward. If you remember the first time that the Cavs played against LeBron, um, when he left them the first time around, it was like a fluke win for them. It felt like their NBA finals. But then you're like, okay, it's back to reality. LeBron's leaving, and then we're going back down to the toilet. You know what I mean? Yeah. This, it felt like, uh, okay, LeBron's leaving. We're in a better position than him and his team. Um, we don't need him anymore to be everything that he was for us to be successful. Because for so many years, Hayden, you know this, um, their success was tied to LeBron. And if they didn't have him, they didn't have anything. They didn't have any hope. They didn't have any expectations. 
they didn't um, have a roster that was capable of of competing at the highest level against the the consistently best teams in the NBA. And now it's like, here are the Cavs. They are a legitimate title contender. They're one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And they continue to show it over and over and over again. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect. And it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be slip-ups, especially on the road. And it doesn't mean that they're even the best version of the team that I think they can become this year. But on a nightly basis, it seems like there's something else that happens where they show like they're ready to take that next step as an organization. And avoiding the hoopla and all of the other stuff that, that goes into a LeBron James night and, and finding a way to win that game the way that they did. I did think that was a, a powerful and important moment for the organization. I believe so too, that, you know, it just signaled that this team is not, you know, it's not still owned by LeBron. It's not still, you know, and, and I think that there's a distinction that just Donovan Mitchell made so beautifully at the end of the game. You can recognize the past and you can recognize right. how great LeBron is and what he's meant to this organization that That's he right. is Cavaliers basketball to this point, no doubt. 100%. He will he will for maybe forever be the best player this organization's ever had. But the problem yeah. is is that or the, the difference is that now they also have some great players and they are ready to enter a new era in in reality. You know, I mean, right. Donovan Mitchell came out and and dominated. I mean, 43 yeah. points just came out and played on another level. And that's the first real superstar that's kind of shown that ability, maybe a little bit Darius Garland, but I think that Donovan Mitchell really puts them into that next and upper echelon. And it's not false hope either, right? It no. feels real. And you can sense it in the locker room with the guys. And you can sense it in the practice facility. They believe. They believe on a different level than even they did last year. And last year, make no mistake, it was a confident group. I think there was some young naivete that was going on there because they just didn't know what they didn't know. Um, so it was a young, confident group. And they felt like coming into this year that they could take another step forward. How big of a step, how many steps, you didn't really know. But they did feel like they could take another step forward, and they felt like they had some unfinished business because they left some wins out there last year and because they had all the injuries in the second half of the season that led to their collapse. But there's a different level of belief when you have a dude like Donovan Mitchell, who is an MVP candidate, who can show up on that stage in that environment against that dude on the other side who means so much to the organization, who had done so many things in a positive way for the organization. For for Donovan to have that kind of performance in, in that kind of game, it just reinforces the belief of everybody in that locker room. And when you have a guy that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with LeBron, that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jason Tatum and Giannis and, and some of the best players in the NBA, you start to really look at yourself and saying, yes, we can. We can at a different level than even we could last year when we made the play-in tournament. Right. And I think that, that that's just another step in their maturity and another step in, in what they, you know, and what they bring um, with. I mean, I, I think we can talk a lot about you know, all the guys, but I think uh, the reality is, is that I think Donovan Mitchell is just taking them to a level that they've for this year. Yeah. For this year that they yes, haven't seen, they haven't seen. I mean, it's just, it's, that's a guy that 
is a total game changer, total difference maker. And, you know, that's what's really pushed them over the edge. And I'm not saying that anything against Darius Garland or even against Evan Mobley or anything against those guys, but he just, you know, it was, it was spider versus the King. That's what it was on, on um, what was it? Tuesday night. And it was evident that this guy has changed the expectation from, is this false hope to know this is the reality. This is the team that's Right. right where it needs to be. Yeah, you can dream bigger, you can hope more because of somebody like Donovan and because of the other um, guys that are on this roster as well. Like if Donovan was just a one-man show, then the belief in this organization and what they can accomplish this year would be a little bit different, right? It's the fact that they have Donovan, the piece that they were missing, the um, high-level superstar player that they were missing— combined with Darius Garland, the all-star point guard, and Jared Allen, the all-star linchpin defensive-minded center, and combined with Evan Mobley, who has a chance to be maybe the most talented of all those guys, right? Like, it just puts everybody in a specific role, and um, in terms of, like, the hierarchy, it puts everybody in the place where they should be. Like, if, if you were asking Darius to be Donovan at this stage of his career, he couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Like if you were asking Jared Allen to be the number two guy on the offensive end of the floor at this stage of his career, he couldn't do it. But now you have Donovan as the alpha, you've got Darius as his Robin, and then you've got Jared Allen as the third all-star. And then all of a sudden that like changes the complexion of the team and it changes the ceiling of the team as well. And like I said, Evan Mobley may be the most talented of all these guys when it's all said and done. But the fact that the Cavs have Donovan, Darius and Jarrett means that the Cavs don't have to put as much on Evan early in his career. Right. They can allow him to, to develop and grow at his own pace in a different situation if he was in Orlando or Detroit or Charlotte or Houston, then the things that Evan would be asked to do on a nightly basis would be a lot different. And I think maybe in some cases you could argue would help his growth because he got more shot opportunities. He got more touches. He was more involved in offense, but like, I don't know that that would be as beneficial for him at this stage of his career. This allows him to grow, like I said, at his own pace. And they don't have to rush him into a role or um, into a franchise designation that he's not quite ready for at 21 years of, of age. And yes, everybody believes that eventually, like he's going to have to be the one that is the best player for them to win titles. Um, but he's not there yet. And because of Donovan, Darius, and Jarrett, it it allows Evan um, to not have to be that guy right now. Right. He's. I mean, it's the second year. It's just there's plenty of time to develop. There's plenty of time to grow. You know, I I don't think there's any rush or any need for rushing a guy like um, like uh, Evan Mobley. Um, but the other night, something was apparent too, and I thought so at least. Um, Jared Allen was, you know, mm. a huge factor. And when the Cavs don't have Jared Allen, I'm not saying they're you know bad by any means. I'm not saying that they're not good, but they they they're different. You know, it's very yeah. different when you have those two big seven footers back there and and a guy in Jared Allen that's been an all star. I mean, when they're missing him, they're missing a crucial piece. And that's fun. It's it's exactly what you said. Is is 
everybody plays a role and you don't have a guy that's playing a role, you know, it's tough. It's tough to over it's tough to um replace that. You know, Jared right. Allen is a guy who plays a specific role and plays it really well. Donovan Mitchell plays a specific role and plays it really well. Darius Garland plays a specific role, plays it really well. You know, these guys all have roles that are played very, very well. And when you don't have Jared out there, it's obvious. But I thought Jared um in his return, you know, just made it that much more obvious how much they love and they need him as part of this, you know, as part of this team. I bring that up a lot with people inside the organization and they always say, and obviously it's a different team this year than last year's team. But the first thing that they always say when I ask about the impact of Jared Allen is, Chris, look what happened in the second half of last year. Yeah, Chris, look what happened after Jared went down with that finger injury and we completely yeah. collapsed at both ends of the floor. We just couldn't function the same way on offense or defense. Yep. And one of the things that makes the Cavs defense so special and so different and so unique and why it's the number one defense in the NBA statistically is that they have two seven footers. Very yep. few teams have two seven footers that are that mobile, that skilled, that athletic, that switchable, and also that good when it comes to protecting the rim. There isn't anything that think about this. Jared Allen is an all-star center, the linchpin of this defense, and he takes matchups against the opposing center. Joel Embiid, uh, Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, whoever else you want to throw out there. Well, the other night against the Lakers, Jared Allen's matchup was LeBron James. It wasn't Anthony Davis. It was LeBron James. The Cavs put Evan Mobley on Anthony Davis. Think about the luxury that you have where you feel that good about somebody like Jarrett and his skill set that you can put him on Embiid one night and then you can put him on LeBron the next night. That just does so much for your entire defense. And then on top of that, you don't feel like you're missing that much on defense because you have somebody like Evan Mobley who can take a matchup against Anthony Davis, that caliber player. To have two guys like that, that's what makes this defense special. So if you take one of them away, whether it be Jarrett or Evan, and all of a sudden you're left with just one of those guys, it's going to be a different feel. It's going to be a different look. Yes, it certainly is. Certainly a different look. Um, but uh, you're right. I mean, this defensively, they can do a lot of different things, and that's what part of what makes them so, you know, the third best team in the Eastern Conference right now. And they're 11-1 at home. I mean, it's uh, they've played remarkably well at home. Tonight, they're at home again. Uh, Cavs only four games behind, or four and a half games behind the Boston Celtics, um, two and a half games behind the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, we still, Chris, are, are still talking about, and you wrote the other day about this, um, well, actually, before we get into that, do you want to? You, I want to kind of talk more about this LeBron stuff because, you know, he does only come once a year, and he and the yeah. Cavaliers won't see him again. Um, I, I thought that he, you know, I, I thought that the Cavs handled it perfectly. I thought he handled it perfectly. I thought that like it, re- he really does feel like maybe this is something that, you know, that it. I don't know if he regrets not coming back. I don't think he does because I think he sees, you know, they're they're new, they're they're a new thing. It's a new thing without him. And you wrote a story. Cavaliers continue to write their own story, but or continue writing their own story without LeBron games. They don't need them anymore. Um, but it, I, I think it's just being handled perfectly in that 
everybody still a lot of people still love LeBron. A lot of people love what he did for the organization. You know, Derek Donovan Mitchell said it. You know, he, he set the standard. Donovan was watching and was a Cavs fan because of LeBron and was watching yeah, him in that yeah. building. And now he's playing and creating his own legacy in that building. And um, it's just it's no longer well, LeBron's the greatest and they the Cavs are nothing without him. Finally, you know, it's been it's come like first full circle, as Donovan Mitchell says. You know, it's it's become now LeBron can do what he needs to do in LA and the Cavs don't have to worry about it. That's exactly right. Um, I, I think the Cavs as an organization as a whole, I think they needed this level of success without LeBron. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's good that they're having it. And I, I think it just goes to show that, you know, what Kobe Altman and Mike Ganzi in the front office, along with JB Bickerstaff and the coaching staff, the things that they're trying to implement here with this organization, one, are meaningful, and two, they work. They yeah. work at the highest level. And it's not that they work at a play-in tournament type level. No, no, no. They work at the highest level because the Cavs are one of three teams in the NBA right now, Hayden, that's top 10 in offense and top 10 in defense. The only other two are the New Orleans Pelicans, the number one team in the West, and the Phoenix Suns, the number two team in the West. And Boston's great, and Milwaukee's great, and I think both of those teams are legitimate title contenders. And then the Cavs are the third best team in the Eastern Conference. So they have tried to express patience throughout the course of this rebuild. They've tried to do it their way, um, in their own vision, and you're seeing the vision come together. And it's not just a situation where you're looking at the Cavs saying, well, you know, 2022, 2023, great start to the season for the Cavs but they're probably not going to be able to sustain it for whatever reason. Or 22-23, great season for the Cavs, great turnaround season, but next year they're going to fall off. And the year after that, they're going to fall off. I was talking to an executive earlier today that, that used the word that I think matters most to this organization. Something that even with LeBron, because of his situation and his contract and the fact that, you know, he always wanted to have power over the organization. It was hard to build something sustainable and lasting once he left, because everything that they did while he was here was about going all in. It was short term thinking championship or bust. This is different because it feels sustainable. And that's the word that the executive used earlier today with me. It's sustainable. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not yeah. just this year and next year and as long as, like, Donovan Mitchell is here. You know what I mean? Like, it, it feels the Cavs are more than just Donovan Mitchell. They're more than just Darius Garland. They're more than just Jared Allen. It's a team concept. It's a balance. Obviously, there there are levels to this, and there are certain guys who are more important than others, but it just doesn't feel like, that the shoe is going to drop um, in a year or two or three. It's 
as long as the core group remains together, there's no reason to think that the Cavs can't be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Right. And now we can move on to the point that I was going to make earlier is that, you know, that doesn't mean that they can't get better. And right. I think we, we all know what we're talking about. You wrote another piece um, basically saying, um, who can the Cavaliers target in a trade uh, to upgrade the small forward spot? And the small forward spot has certainly been one that has been topsy-turvy. You know, we thought Dean Wade was going to be maybe a little bit, of, he was going to get a chance there that he's been out with, a, I believe, a shoulder injury. And then, yeah. um, you know, Karis LeVert, we talked about that, how he doesn't really fit that role. Um, but could Karis LeVert be a guy that they could use to bring in the small uh, to to bring in somebody who could be a better fit in that small forward spot? And if so, who are they looking at? What 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 are, what could they do in this situation to kind of try to upgrade that spot and you know give themselves a better, more sustainable love that word option at yeah. the uh, at the three? I do have to say, um, in looking at a lot of the lineup numbers and and stuff like that. The the Levert at small forward thing with Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen wasn't a complete disaster. In terms of net rating, it was one of their best five-man lineups. But the Cavs didn't feel like it was the best thing for Levert. And I think the Cavs felt like even though it was statistically one of their best lineups, there were other ones out there that could give them more of a ceiling if that makes sense. Um, So I think the Cavs are still trying to work through it when it comes to Karras. What's the best role? What's the best usage? How can we make him most comfortable? And if he's at his most comfortable, is that what is best for us as an organization? Um, A lot of people continue to tell me inside the organization that they believe Um, Karras playing with a pass first point guard like Ricky Rubio is going to be really, really beneficial for him. Um, Rubio is obviously a different kind of point guard than Darius Garland. He's a different kind of guy than even Donovan Mitchell. And because of that, the Cavs feel like Karras' skill set is going to blend better with Ricky. And those two together in the second unit alongside Kevin Love is going to be really, really, really explosive and very, very effective for the Cavs. That remains to be seen. One, it remains to be seen because we don't know what version of Ricky Rubio we're going to get. The Cavs don't know what version of Ricky Rubio they're going to get. Um, The guy that that started last year on on such a heater, um, coming off the the World Cup performance and playing with the Spanish national team and in a new environment and and back with um, Kevin Love and and playing alongside Jetty Osman and Darius Garland, like that guy was critical to the Cavs hot start at the beginning of the year. But this version coming off a torn ACL, a year of recovery, I don't know how effective he's going to be. So that's part of the equation that I continue to wonder about. And the other thing, Hayden, is like if 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 part of the issue that Karras had in the starting lineup is that he didn't have enough touches and he didn't have enough freedom. Is he going to get touches and freedom with Ricky Rubio? Like a lot of the second unit is going to be run through Rubio, just like a lot of the first unit is run through Donovan and Darius. So I wonder just how good of a fit it's going to be. So I need to see that. 
before I make an ultimate determination on Karis LeVert and the right role for him and whether there is a fit for him on this roster. But if we're being honest, if the Cavs are looking to improve this roster at the deadline beyond just getting Ricky Rubio back for a second half playoff push, um, they don't have a lot of assets. We know that. They traded a bunch of them for Donovan Mitchell. They gave up a first-round pick for Karis LeVert at last year's deadline. So they just don't have a lot of draft capital, number one, and they don't have a lot of appealing young players that they'd be willing to give up. Most teams are going to say, okay, how about Darius Garland? How about Jared Allen? How about Evan Mobley? And the Cavs are going to hang up the phone, and none of those guys are going to go anywhere because they're not looking to shake up the roster in that kind of way. So if we're talking about improving the team, like Isaac Okoro and Jetty Osman aren't going to get you a whole lot. Dylan Windler certainly isn't going to get you a whole lot. So the thing that has the most value to them in a trade, I think, is Karras. Because one, he can play. Um, he has he has shown in the past that um, in Indiana and in Brooklyn, he can be effective as a player. Um, there are still questions about that when it comes to Isaac Okoro and Dylan Windler and some of the other guys that you want to throw in there in these fake trades. Um, and the other thing that, that is beneficial to the Cavs when it comes to Karras is he's on an inspiring contract. Um, and his contract, the way that it is structured in the final year of his deal, um, just about $18 million, that salary matches a lot of the other guys um, that could be quote unquote available around the trade deadline. So because of that, I think if the Cavs legitimately want to improve their small forward position, like if they look at it and say, Lamar Stevens is maybe the best option that we have, but we can do better. Or Dean Wade is maybe the best option that we have, but we can do better, especially if we want to compete with Boston and Milwaukee. Then their best route to do that is by using Karis LeVert in a trade and not having him be actually on this team in a sixth band, seventh band type role. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's complicated for sure. Um, I, with Ricky Rubio, I mean, you wrote something and there was something the other day that the JV Bickerstaff said that he'll be back in or he's uh, allowed back in five on fives. Um, yeah. Is the is the timeline still like January, February? Uh, I mean, is there any more clarity there or is it just kind of a day by day? You know, when he gets better, it gets better thing. There really is no clarity, but I continue to hear um, from people that I trust that the hope is he'll be back in January. Now, January makes all the sense in the world because, as we've talked about a number of times on this podcast, as I've written a number of times, um, it's usually a 10 to 12-month recovery timeline, and Rubio had the surgery on his torn ACL in mid-January. So if we take that and we look at the year spot, it would be mid-January. But it also seems like, you know, he's making all the progress that he needs to make. And he's clearing all the hurdles that he needs to make along the way. Um, he looks good when you see him working out. He's challenging teammates to one-on-one contest. Not Darius Garland yet. He's not ready for that yet. But um, he's he's doing all the things that he needs to do behind the scenes um, to be as ready as possible for a return around that one-year mark. Yeah. It, it, I'm excited to see what he can bring because last year he was so dynamic and maybe you're right. Maybe there's a situation in which, you know, Ricky Rubio and he and will kind of make things different for a lot of guys coming off the bench and um, they'll play differently. Well, he did last year for Kevin Love and Jetty Osman. I mean, look at the numbers of of Kevin Love and Jetty Osman 
when Rubio was in the lineup and, and when Rubio got hurt and then ultimately traded to Indiana. Kevin was second in sixth man of the year, but a big part of his production was boosted by playing with Rubio at the beginning of the year. He he tailed off, just like yeah. Jetty Osman did. Rubio's the kind of guy, Hayden, that makes everybody around him better. Rubio's the kind of guy who creates better looks for everybody around him. And even if he can't be the same guy physically, at least immediately, because he was coming off such a significant injury, he just organized the team. He can yeah. get them in the right place. He can yeah. be a threat in a way that Howell Neto can't be. And I yeah. think there's going to be a domino effect that is felt by everybody that plays alongside Rubio. Um, it's just how much does does Karras feel that? And how much does that make Karras like the right fit here versus maybe being uh, somebody to use in a trade um, for a player who looks like a better fit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it'll be fascinating. It'll certainly be fascinating. Um, and it makes you think, you know, they're good now. What if they get even better? You know, the, how, how, what is their, what is their ceiling? I mean, how good can they be? Can they be yeah. like the second team in the East or is the third team in the East kind of their ceiling? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, they've beaten Boston twice. Um, yeah. I know that was earlier in the year, but still, Boston's the best team in the East. But then they've looked pretty bad against Milwaukee a couple of times in Milwaukee. So right. um, it, it, there's still a lot of season left. You know, we got until April. I mean, it's only uh, it's only December, and things change, certainly, as we saw. You know, last season, Cavaliers were great, and then kind of towards the end, fell apart. So the goal this year is to definitely not fall apart, and it's to just keep moving forward. It's to keep, keep this uh, trajectory going. Um, Cats have a lot of home games coming up, a lot of home games. Um, they will be at home for the next one, two, three, four, five, or excuse me. They'll be home for two, four, six, eight, nine of the next uh, 11, 10 of the next, or nine of the next 12, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so a good opportunity for them here. You know, they're 11 and yep. one. I mean, they got Sacramento and Oklahoma City. They got, then they're in, da then they're in Texas for two. Yep. Uh, two-step Texas Tango, and then they're in Indiana. They're they're against Indiana, Dallas, Utah, Milwaukee, Toronto, Brooklyn. So opportunities, yep. opportunities to mean to, to to continue to push forward and to maintain kind of a good spot in the Eastern Conference. And going back to the whole trade discussion, there's yep. a different layer to this whole thing, and and it's something that I think too many people are overlooking. Um, it is not a fruitful market. Okay. <laughs> like, no, of course not. No. Number one, in the NBA, there's a lot of parity this year. Um, I was having a conversation with a couple of different reporters over the last um, couple of days, and, and we were trying to decipher who are the legitimate title contenders in this year's NBA. And it's a weird conversation. I think it's a complex conversation because on one hand, like, you don't have the dominant force, like the Golden State Warriors of the four years when LeBron was here with the Cavs alongside Kyrie and Kevin Love. Every year for that four-year stretch, you knew that it was the Golden State Warriors. Everyone was chasing them. They were clearly the best team in the NBA. You don't have that right now in the, in the league. I mean, Boston is great, 21-5. and five. They deserve yeah. all of the praise that they've gotten. But it's not the same 
team is golden. It's not the same level of dominance as those Golden State teams. It's not the same level of talent as those Golden State teams. It's not the same level of championship experience as those Golden State teams, right? So that's part of what makes it complex. And the other thing is because of that, there are teams that probably feel like we're in it. We've got more of a chance than we thought we were going to have. Do you think Indiana thought coming into the year that they would be the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference? You think the Pelicans came into this year saying we're going to be the best team in the Western Conference through a quarter of the season? You know what I mean? So, like, the level of parity in the NBA, I think, has more teams believing and the level that that the top teams are failing to dominate at, I think, has teams believing in a different kind of way. And because of that, I think they'll be more hesitant to deal some of their players. Example, the Sacramento Kings are fifth in the Western Conference. They're 13 and 10. Are they going to stay that way? I don't know. Are they a playoff team? I don't know. You probably have to see a little bit more from them. But this is an organization that hasn't made the playoffs in nearly two decades. If they were to trade Harrison Barnes, he would be the top wing that other teams around the NBA would covet. Now, He's not Donovan Mitchell, right? He's not that level. He's fine. He's a good player. He's a good fit on a contending team. He's a 3 and D guy. He's got championship experience. He can play a specific complementary role, and he can thrive in that. But it's Harrison Barnes, right? It's a guy who has never once in his career averaged 20 points per game. Or if he has, it's been like once or twice. Um, So that's the kind of piece that teams would be looking at to add at the deadline. Like he's not the high level difference maker. And in saying that, because the Kings feel like they're in it in a different kind of way, and because they're chasing a playoff spot, he's not really available. You know Mm. what I mean? And if he's available because of the success that they've had, if they even want to consider it, if a team wants to reach out to them and ask about him, they're going to ask for even more than what they've asked for in the past. And in the past, they've been asking for a first-round pick plus for Harrison Barnes. What do you think they're going to ask for this year when they're 13-10 and and believe that they have a chance to be a playoff team? So those are different things that that people have to consider here. Like, yeah, you're going to have some teams as the season goes on start to feel like we're out of it. We're too disappointing. We're too injured. We don't have enough talent, and maybe then some guys are going to become more available. But right now, with the level of parity in the NBA and the number of teams bunched together that feel like we have a real shot here because the top-level teams, like, they're flawed too, it's it's going to make it for a more difficult market um, for some of these teams that want to be buyers at the trade deadline. Yep, and that added on to the position itself. It's just, it's going to be difficult. Oh, yeah. I mean, that goes without mm-hmm. saying. Everybody right. knows how difficult it is to find, like, a six foot eight, three and D-type wing. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So, um, I mean, like, right, okay, oh, so who do you go with? Joe Harris, Doug McDermott, you know, Eric Gordon, Kelly Oubre Jr.? Those are the names that you're talking about. Like, how much better do those players make the Cavs or any other team around the NBA. Yeah. And some of those guys are going to be more costly than others. 
And some of those guys are more realistic than others. But that's what we're talking about in terms of um, players that could be available at the trade deadline. Um, So that's something else that the Cavs and other teams have to consider. Like, is giving up Karis LeVert worth any of those kinds of players? Is giving up Karis LeVert and something else worth those kinds of players? I don't know. I don't know either. That's for them to find out. That's for them to figure out, for us to figure out. All right. Um, Chris, I got to run, to be honest with you. It's a busy weekend for me. Um, Same here. Thank you. Thank you for the time. Yes, I get you. It's that busy time of year, right? So thanks for joining us. Uh, please go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, read all Chris's work, and click the blue banner at the top of the page. Grab, um, uh, sign up for Chris's subtext, 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month. All Cavs inside analysis news sent straight to your farm before Twitter or anywhere else. So please go check him out. Chris, we appreciate the time, and uh, we will talk to you soon, my friend. Sounds good, my brother. All right, Cavaliers at home plenty over the next couple of weeks. So go see him play. and. Uh, Again, looking trajectory, hoping to be continuing to go upward because this team is is a lot of fun and they're definitely in a new era. So thank you all for joining us. We will talk to you soon. Take care.